0: Welcome back to another episode of the Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Clinton, editor and columnist for Heartland College Sports, and we are excited to bring you the latest transfer portal NIL and recruiting news from across the nation right here on the Portal Podcast. Today is February 8th, 2023, and I'm not quite ready to announce the dead yet, but I have a question to ask. Is the transfer portal killing high school recruiting? It's debatable, at the very least, but I, I do think that we can at least say it's certainly changed things. Kids that were getting scholarship offers beforehand are no longer getting those offers because it's a lot easier just to go and grab somebody out of the transfer portal. We're seeing it across all sports. We hear about it mostly in football because football takes a precedent in a lot of situations, including the transfer portal. But it, it's happening across the nation for basketball and baseball and softball and football, as I've said. Uh, Scott Hansen of the Seattle Times recently wrote an article about uh, the effects of of recruiting, and he has this quote from Courtney Morgan as the director of player personnel for the Washington Huskies. Quote, it has totally changed. The rush to offer high school kids scholarships has slowed way down. That sums it up. Colleges now have more options when it comes to acquiring new players. Instead of going out and getting high school prospects, to compete for scholarships. They can go and grab an experienced college player who's entered the portal, um, or they can go and get a JUCO uh, player, which the JUCO route has been a viable route for years. But just adding another uh, mode of competition to high school players has made it that much more difficult. Uh, In 2023, the 2022 and 23 transfer portal cycle – a total of 1,907 players entered the portal. 1,092 of those players have found a new home. That's 57% right around the numbers we gave you a couple of weeks ago. 810 of those players are still looking for a home, which is around 43%. But if you if you look at that, that's 1,000 scholarships that may or may not have been given out to a high school football player that no longer have that option. And that's a tough pill to swallow. And really, you know, I can say rah-rah, you know, this is wrong. But if I look at it from a college coach's perspective, do you want to go out and get a high school kid that needs two years of development before he can make a difference for me on my roster? Or do I want to go grab the guy that's been in a Division One program for three years, has been through the weight program, has done the offseason – is physically in shape and could be a starter for me for the next two seasons. It's really not that hard of a question to answer. The obvious answer is you go and get the guy that's been in the program and is ready to compete right now. But that's not necessarily the way that this system was intended to work. Let's look at, uh, for example, let's look at the, the quarterback situation at Oklahoma. Jackson Arnold's coming in. And he is the highest one of the highest rated uh, recruits in this cycle. And because he is coming in, uh, last year freshman Nick Evers, who was slated to be the backup behind Dylan Gabriel this last year, he decided it's better for him to leave and go elsewhere. So he transfers to Wisconsin. At first, that looked like a great opportunity for the kid. You know, Wisconsin has a new coach and uh, Luke Fickle coming in a new system. They're trying to change things up, get some new blood in there. Nick Evers sees the opportunity and jumps for it. That's great. Until two weeks later, SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai shows up. That's a guy that's got a lot of experience and was playing for a mid-major and tossed well over 100 touchdowns over the last couple of years. And, I mean, Or Sorry, well over 70 touchdowns over the last couple of years. And we're looking at a situation where instead of sitting and waiting at Oklahoma, he is now in the same situation that he would have been in Norman uh, in Wisconsin. So should he have sat and waited out, he'd be another year further in the program. He'd be much more familiar with the system. Now he's going to be forced uh, to have to learn his second system in two years, and he'll still serve – as a backup in 2023, unless something happens to Mordecai. Now there could be a unique situation there that I don't understand. Um, That's just what I see from an outside perspective, but this is another issue that the transfer portal is, is showing us. Let's, let's go South of the red river. Quinn Ewers transfers in from Ohio state after going and getting his money for the uh, NIL opportunity up there in Ohio. Now Arch Manning's coming in. Casey Thompson leaves because of Quinn Ewers coming in. He felt disrespected from the situation. He goes to Nebraska for a year. But who was really affected in this situation? It was Hudson Card. That's a guy that um, stuck around, did what he needed to do to uh, be the guy at Texas. And he's been there since high school now. Where is he? He's at Purdue. Um, He had to go and take another opportunity and try and win a starting spot. And now Quinn Ewers is going to have to fight off freshman Arch Manning to keep his starting job. So there's this domino effect that continually happens. And at the end of the day, the, the person that, that it hurts the most are the high school kids coming in. Let's stick to the quarterback uh, position. There's an excerpt from Lindsey Young of the Chattanooga Times Free Press uh just kind of she she talked about the issues that are going on uh with with quarterback recruiting at the high school level. She says over 40% of FBS starting quarterbacks this past season were transfers. According to on3.com, which tracks transfer portal activity, 133 quarterbacks entered the portal this offseason. 43 of those 133 quarterbacks are still uncommitted and of the 90 who have signed only 13 did so with FCS or lower programs that means that 77 of the 133 FBS programs will have a new quarterback and while many of those 77 schools had a quarterback transfer out the reality is the great majority of open spots are not being filled by high school recruits that uh, it, it, that sums it up perfectly so the biggest issue which she kind of alluded to this a bit, but the biggest issue that nobody really is talking about is the FCS recruiting. It may not affect four- and five-star guys as much because you're still going to have coaches coming after you, programs coming after you. But in reality, the vast majority of college football players are not four- and five-star players. That's just how it is. So the three-star kids that used to get calls from FCS programs because FBS programs weren't necessarily interested in them, the phone's not really ringing anymore. The coach at Tarleton State would much rather go and grab Houston wide receiver Cody Jackson out of the portal, which they did, because he was recruited out of high school as a high four-star player and ended up at Oklahoma. Wouldn't you rather, as a high school coach, go out and get a kid that is talented as that versus somebody that you might attribute to playing at Tarleton State in a normal year. High school players with realistic goals and dreams of playing college football right now are simply having to just go to work or go to school because there's an easier and a quicker replacement option for roster needs than developing a high school kid like we originally saw in the years prior to the transfer portal. Again, we're not talking about places like Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. Those guys, they are getting top-shelf recruits from the high school level, and it's a continual process, a conveyor belt of four- and five-star guys. It's the Baker Mayfields of the world that are suffering. And what I mean by that is it's the walk-ons. It's the kids that were overlooked by the big schools that are missing their shot. And if you'll remember, when Baker Mayfield walked on at Texas Tech, he didn't transfer to Oklahoma in the way that we are used to seeing. He wasn't allowed to just transfer without uh, losing a year. He had to sit for a year, and then he had to go to court. To he had to go to court to regain that year back later on down the road. So things have changed, and I think my main point here is the NCA needs to reinstitute the one year rule. I think that that would help out that would help out incredibly around the nation for for things. You make a kid sit and think about his decision before he gives up a year of eligibility. He doesn't just get mad at the coach and decide, "Hey, I, you know, I think it's time for me to go elsewhere." That's that makes it way too easy for for players to make um emotional decisions. And it really leaves coaches in a in a bad spot. Look at Kansas. Kansas is just now getting back to a level of having the same amount of scholarship players that the rest of the country's been playing with because they've lost more than they've gained for several years. The NCAA had to make a new rule to take the limit off of players you can add in a given year just so that Kansas could get back to a competitive level in the Big 12. That we're seeing the effects of this threefold. It's not just it's roster management at the college level. It's high school kids not getting Opportunities that they used to, and so the NCA needs to reinstitute the one year rule. Um, I and I think a caveat to that, something that I would add is maybe allow a special waiver for grad transfers uh, that want to use their last year somewhere else. I think, in my opinion, they have they've put in the time and they deserve to look elsewhere. If there's a if there's a position or a program that maybe fits, fits what they want better going forward or maybe fits their scheme, what they think that they can maximize their opportunities for being drafted in the NFL. If they can do that at a different program, I think they've earned the right to do that because they've put in the time. They've graduated from the school that they have been uh, attending for years. And so I do think that we we should look at some sort of, of waiver system for grad transfers, but I do think the one-year rule needs to come back. And it would fix NIL tampering too. Think about how many stories, real or not, that you have heard about uh, players being contacted from other programs or other schools that otherwise would still be playing elsewhere. Look at Jordan Addison, for example. There's no way Jordan Addison moved across the country from Pittsburgh all the way to USC without there being a significant dollar amount attached to the deal. Now, do you want to go play for Lincoln Riley? Sure, but I don't think Pat Narduzzi has built a program that you just see guys leave because they're being mistreated or what what have you fill in the blank with whatever excuse you want. I'm not going to buy it other than he was offered a significant amount of money by Lincoln Riley and USC Trojans to come and play at USC. So it would fix NIL tampering because collectives and players, really for that matter, are going to be much less inclined to talk about deals under the table or in secret if they have to wait a year before seeing the benefits on the field. It'd be really difficult to say, hey, come over here and play for us and we'll give you a million dollars in a year, but you have to sit. And that kid's going to sit on the million dollars. What if he gets out of shape at that point? What if an injury happens during practice that keeps him from being able to even see the field? I think that there's more risk involved on both sides so that we, we would not see that happen nearly as much. And so I think that doing that would absolutely revolutionize and change the way that we look at the transfer portal right now, because right now it's a problem. It's more of a problem than it is an opportunity. There are teams that benefit from it. Like I said, at every, in every sport, not just football. um, But we're really seeing the transfer portal become a storyline that is almost overcoming uh, recruiting in a way, because it's almost making recruiting uh, at the mid-major level, and for your run-of-the-mill three-star athlete, uh, it's just not something that, that we're seeing nearly as much of. There's not a rush to go and get the in-state kid anymore when you can bring in a uber-talented transfer that's been playing college football for two or three years. So let, let's switch. <laughs> it's a little bit of a dark conversation. Let's try and end the podcast on a high note. I don't know about you, I am extremely excited about softball season. It's finally back. I uh, Love softball. It's fast paced. I think it's better. I think it's a better product than college baseball. To be completely frank with you, there are several huge transfers around the nation that are going to make an impact in college softball this season. I went ahead and and I took the liberty of making a top five list, um, and these are in order. We'll go from uh, we'll go from one to five on this one. Number one, Sydney Sanders. If you don't know that name, you will. She was a first baseman for Arizona State last year. She is now at Oklahoma. Oklahoma lost Jocelyn Allo. They returned to Ari Jennings, but replacing Alo wasn't going to be easy. I think Jennings is probably the only person that could step into Allo's role. Well, we found somebody. To uh, step in. Patty Gaston says we found somebody to step in for um, Tiara Jennings' role as she steps up. And Sydney Sanders is just that. She had 21 home runs last season as a freshman, true freshman, with a 425 batting average. She had a 952 slugging percentage and 13 strikeouts over 146 at bats. That's really good if you're not aware. Uh, She also maintained a 566 on-base percentage and a 984 fielding percentage. So we're talking about an elite player. She was the Pac-12 freshman of the year and was an incredible athlete for Arizona State last year who fell out uh, of the tournament before they could make any real noise, but Arizona State was on the climb last year, and uh, the Sooners went out and got her. She was uh, a top three finalist last year for the 2022 freshman of the year nationally. Um, her teammate, Jordy Ball, won that award, uh, pitcher for Oklahoma, but she was a top three finalist for that. So huge gift for Oklahoma. She's my number one transfer. My number two transfer of the year, Charlize Palacios. Uh, she is a catcher, a junior from Arizona who will now play for the UCLA Bruins, who are ranked number two in almost any uh, – Top 25 list that you look at in preseason. Palacios was an absolute problem in the Women's College World Series last year. I was there in person covering the World Series. She kept the Wildcats in nearly every game they were in. She hit a two-run bomb uh, to put Arizona up in the fifth against Oklahoma State. The Cowgirls rallied to win the game 4-2, but the electricity in that dugout and the absolute presence that she has at the plate is going to be big. For UCLA because UCLA has got to replace Delaney Wiz, um, and they now have a power bat that they can turn to uh, in, in, Charlize Palacio, in Charlize Palacios. Uh, 20 home runs last season, a 326 batting average, and 64 RBIs. That's pretty stinking good. Uh, my number three transfer, Oklahoma State's Lexi Kilfoyle. She's a right handed pitcher and utility player from Alabama. She will have two years of elgi- eligibility remaining. This is a huge addition for Kenny Gigieski. Um, does anybody remember the name Miranda Ellis? If you follow Oklahoma State baseball, you certainly do. This is a perfect fit to replace Miranda Ellis. She's a strong bat, she has a great arm to pair with Kelly Maxwell. You're not asking her to be the ace. It's a it's a perfect fit and her upside is tremendous. So, if she can come in to Stillwater and do what she is capable of, Oklahoma State will be much better for it. Uh, she has a career ERA of 206. Uh, she only had 13 at-bats in 2022, was dealing with some health issues. So if she can get healthy and be what she is capable of for Kenny Gajewski's squad, Oklahoma State will be much better for it. Uh, number four, back to Norman, Alex DiRocco, uh starting pitcher out of Michigan. She has a 171 career ERA and a 47 and 11 record with 570 strikeouts over the last two seasons. She has a 69 and 20 record overall. This is almost exactly what Oklahoma needed in losing Hope Trout-Wine after last year. Staraco pairs well with Jordy Ball and they have an embarrassment of riches on offensive and de- on the offensive and defensive uh, side of things, but when you look at their pitching staff. Oklahoma goes four deep this season. They've got Jordy Ball. They've got Alex DiRocco. They've got Nicole May. Oh, and by the way, they've got the 2022 number one overall player in Kirsten Deal in the circle. So Oklahoma is set to make another run. I expect them to be good again, really good again, uh, and a lot of that has to do with some of the transfers they picked up. My number five transfer in the nation – We jump right back up to Stillwater. There's a reason why these three teams are at the top of all the preseason lists. It's because they're going to be really good, and a lot of it has to do with what they did in the transfer portal. Oklahoma State went out and got Rachel Becker from Purdue. She was the Big Ten, she was a uh, a Big Ten first team selection last year. She's an excellent batter, Uh, she's averaged over 400. Uh, batting average in the last two years she batted 479 in 2021 and 429 in 2022 and she's also a terrific infielder um, she's the second ever all-american at purdue so that should tell you how special of a player she was for the Boilermakers. and she will be an excellent combination with kylie naomi and the cowgirls middle infield so uh, whether she's playing shortstop or second base she will be a key part of what oklahoma state's trying to do this year and with everything they lost, Oklahoma State reloaded. So I expect Bedlam softball to be excellent again and uh, should be really, really fun to watch. But that about does it for us here. Really appreciate you guys joining us uh, here, and we, we really hope to continue bringing you the best NIL Transfer Portal uh, news from across the country. Uh, I'm Brian Clinton, and we will catch you next time out here in the portal.